Welcome to uh, the Silk Road Part 2. My name is Dan Brady. I'm Johnny Smith. <laughs> I was like, man, you're going to do me dirty like that. That ain't fair. <laughs> oh, This is going to be an entertaining episode uh, since you had that already pulled up. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed Part 1. It was a lot of fun for us. I learned a lot of shit, and it was very fascinating. Yeah, uh, I mean, I learned a lot researching this, like just the the movement of knowledge across, you know, all these continents and countries and people just absolutely amazing. It was like uh, if Johnny Appleseed was stopped planting fucking trees and just started giving books out everywhere he went. Uh, <laughs> oh, you did it for me. I'm on top of it, folks. I got it. I know oh, I'm used to that sound. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're fucking not. You're better than that. Don't sever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I'm done. <laughs> Don't self-deprecate. That's my job. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really much of a self-deprecating. I say that, and then I talk about how my teeth fucking suck and how my family's shitty and all that other good stuff that makes me endearing. But is having a shitty family really self-deprecating? Yeah, because I could have killed them years ago. It's my fault they're still around. I mean, you got your wife. Wow. Okay. I, I, made... said, I, w- I said I would retire the crickets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that's what you're getting from your wife. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Oh, wow. No. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Here's my impression of my wife's current ASMR. Good episode, honey. She did a good job. <laughs> that was beautiful. I uh, I'm crying right now. Um. So anyway, uh, part- <laughs> <laughs> we get on here and and immediately we say is part two of Silk Road, and then just talk about absolutely nothing to do with Silk Road. <laughs> <laughs> so part one, uh, we talked about. Uh, the beginning of the Silk Road, the inventions that travel along it, like paper and gunpowder. And then we talked about uh, the the places along the route, kind of kind of the uh, the geography of the region. And it just kind of painted this story of like the adventurer, you know, like uh, someone <clears throat> you just have to have balls to set out on the Silk Road. Well, so much more was unknown. Uh you know, back in those days, because yeah, there may be stories from people, but to truly experience the adventure, you had to go out on your own. You really didn't know what you were facing. And the thing about Silk Road, it was a build your own adventure. You know, Mm -hmm. it was so big that you couldn't go a hundred times and never have the same experience twice. Yeah. Plus, uh, if you, if you set out on there, uh, I mean, you had the the huge chance of becoming rich, becoming somebody of power. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's what most people do most things for is to chase, you know, some type of fame or wealth or fortune. So uh, in part two, we're going to talk about uh, the exchange of ideas on the uh, on the Silk Road, you know, like um, medicine. Uh, astronomy, stuff like that, just like 
common practices that were spread throughout uh, several different countries and empires. You know what? Outside of the spices, because I'm sure it leads into this, I would be excited to go to Silk Road because I'm sure there were so many different exotic foods that not only you've never heard of, but you probably don't even have access to where you come from. You've got to think of all the varying climates and animals offered there and so on and so forth. What's the craziest animal you've ever eaten? Muskrat. That was not an answer I was ever expecting, but it's on brand for you, Dan. Oh, man, they're delicious. Is that a is that like a rodent type thing? Yeah, they're like uh, they're smaller than a beaver. They kind of look like big fl- furry rats, and they have long skinny tails, and they live in ponds and swamps. My answer was going to be uh, alligator. Huh? Yeah, I had an alligator steak. Alligator's really good. I thought it was delicious. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I've I've had it deep fried. Okay. I haven't, uh, I haven't had that. I'm sure if I visited my brothers down in Louisiana more, I could have some wild shit like that. But you know me, I'm a piece of shit, brother. Well, uh, you can order alligator online if you want to try some fried one day. I want to go down to the bayou. I'll shoot them. Shoot them. <laughs> okay. Before this becomes a, uh, a tribute to swamp people, let's get into this, all right? Hey, man, those are my kin. Dude, I am not talking crap. I could spend all day on here. <laughs> all right, we got to get back to Silk Road. That was my fault. I'm very, like, the, just, I don't know, the point I touched on the, the foods, though. Yeah, right. And and I know me and you specifically were thinking about meat, but I'm sure different fruits and vegetables, different ways of making their bread, different cheeses. Like, we have that all that access in, like, fucking Giant yeah. Eagle right now. But to them, it it could have been a once in a lifetime experience to eat, you know, whatever type of uh, gouda they had or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah, man, I agree a hundred percent. Um. So, uh, the Silk Road saw the passage of tons of cargo and goods during the centuries of its operation, but one of the most precious cargoes to travel the trading routes was ideas. Throughout its history, the Silk Road was a conduit for new philosophies, discoveries, religions, and the exchange of language and music. Um, Of all the ideas that traveled uh, the Silk Road, religion was the most freely exchanged. The earliest days of many of the uh, modern world religions coincided with the popularity of the overland trade routes, Buddhism, Islam, and Christianity were all discussed and philosophized along the road. The urban centers that dotted the trade route provided opportunities for formal worship, and the travel stops um, (coughs) meant uh, that people of all cultures and religions would spend the evenings talking and exchanging ideas. So they were, uh, they had accommodation for everyone to worship separately, like their own deity or whatever it was. And, People were civil about this? Yes. Like, we could take a page from their book and learn this. Because as a country, you know, if you don't agree with someone at some points, they just start screaming. It's fucking ridiculous. Oh, I yeah. think we need to all need to be more open to other ideas. I agree 100%. And um, even, even if you don't agree with them, you don't have to cut their fucking head off. 
Right. No, no. Uh, you're speaking all truth. Dan, uh, last episode, did I tell anyone to go fuck themselves? No. God damn, we got to find somebody you here. You told me to go fuck myself, I think. Yeah, but that doesn't count. Oh, thank you. Uh, early <laughs> Christianity began in the lands near the Mediterranean and spread slowly to the west in the Roman Empire. Also began to seep to the north and east where the Orthodox Church was founded and is still the predominant uh, religion of many Eastern European and Eurasian countries. Roman Catholicism became the official religion of the empire in 391 uh, mm. <clears throat> CE. Okay. <laughs> First off, I'm not even going to acknowledge the CE right now because the forming or the the growth of the Catholic Church, I just threw out history. I know what kind of fucking shit it's going to yep. cause. Yep. Um, in the uh, Middle Eastern lands. I'm proud of us for not making little boy fucking jokes there. Good job, Johnny. We almost got out of there, Dan. We almost got out of that. <laughs> I'm just mentioning it that we didn't do it. We're maturing as podcasters. Yeah, we in are. The, we're in the Middle Eastern lands where Christ lived. Different sects like the Copics and the Nestors practice their own brand of Christianity. I think you'll find this idea. Nestorian Christianity was the sect that most likely spread their ideas on the Silk Road uh, during the 5th and 6th centuries. They believed that Christ, in essence, was two beings, one human, one heavenly, that occupied the same body. So we're getting into the Holy Trinity type ideas? Well, it's just, we're just briefly going to mention the main form of Christianity that was spread along Silk Road, and that was uh, that was it. Um, well, what was was there anything else that was specifically unique to their sect? Um, no, not really. Just the the whole belief was just uh, kind of centered around uh, Christ and uh, being in a body, one with a human being, a human body with a heavenly body inside. Okay, they're splitting hairs with that, but I get it. Right. Uh. It, <clears throat> Yeah, it's 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 pretty much kind of like that. Um, the doctrine that there were two separate persons, one human and one divine, the incarnate Christ. It is named after Nestorus, patriarch of Constantinople, and was maintained by some ancient churches of the Middle East. A hmm. small Nestorian church still exists in Iraq. Nestorian. Yep. I don't know too much about Iraq. Um, honestly, just like what I've heard from you guys and from the media, obviously. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, just from that knowledge, it's surprising that there's a Christian church there. Oh, yeah. Um, Islam was founded in the 7th century. Sorry, Dan. They, another interruption. Yeah. You've been to Iraq, correct? Yes. Have you been to this church? No. Or, okay. Okay. Uh, I would have led with, hey, I've been here. Uh, Islam was founded in the 7th century uh, based in the five pillars taught by the prophet Muhammad. It would come to replace most other religions across the Middle East, in northern and eastern parts of Africa, and the eastern Europe. Zoroastrianism 
and other mystic religions were pushed out of the way during those Islamification of the region. Although pockets of these ancient religions uh, remain today, many teachings of the mystic uh, religions are still a part of the fairy tales and lore of the Middle East. Yeah, with the genie and the jinn and all that. Yes. Now, uh, do we have a time frame on when, like, uh, Islamification was happening and when they were pushing these uh, smaller? Islam was founded was founded in the seventh century. I knew that. I knew. I, so, are we talking like, are they doing this eighth, ninth century? Uh yes, I believe so. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> and that academics of these religions traveled extensively on the sixth Silk Road. Well, the Silk Road helped <coughs> expand throughout the Middle Eastern and the uh, Africa part of the Silk Road. Um, more than 1.6 billion people in the modern world consider themselves as practicing Muslims today. How many? Say that number again. 1.6 billion. Do we have uh, the comparison numbers to the other two big uh, Abramatic religions? Uh, we can right now. Yeah, What what is the population or general population of Christianity. Cause I look at Christianity as like, <clears throat> I don't know, like a, like a fly by night scapegoat that people are like, yeah, yeah, I'm Christian. I'm Christian. But then don't do anything to actually practice. Uh, two point or 2.1, uh, 6 billion. That's Christianity. Yep. What about, uh, Judaism? Whoa. I mean, those are the big three, right? I'd put Buddhism in there as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You think Buddhism, is that a billion, though? Uh, I don't know. For for folks listening, uh, this is the quiet sound of us doing research. There's only 535 million Buddhists right now. Huh. And uh, those are divided into different sects of Buddhism. Practicing uh, Jewish people in the world is four, 14 million. 14, Dan, I'm not buying. Practicing Jewish people? Yes. Number of Jewish, Jewish people. That doesn't sound right at all to me. Um, the, the four largest ones in the world are Christianity with 2.4 billion, Islam with 1.8, Hinduism with 1.2, and then Buddhism with 500 million. That's crazy to me. I would have thought Judaism would have been competing for first or second myself. Oh, you know what it is. What's that? Six million of them were wiped out in the 40s. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I mean, not to diverge from the topic, but you got to think about how many bloodlines were wiped off and how many future Jewish people were killed off just by concentration camps. No, absolutely. I didn't take that into consideration. That just occurred to me. And isn't uh, Judaism one of those things that it's passed down by your mother? 
I know it's generational. Yeah, like I think if your mother was Jewish, then you're Jewish. I think that's how they do it there. I don't know, though. With all these tattoos, I can't be buried in a Jewish cemetery, so it doesn't <laughs> fucking matter to me. So Buddhism, I'm sorry to hear that. Buddhism <laughs> would become the dominant Eastern religion that it is today, thanks in large part to the Silk Road, while Buddhism is one of the oldest religions. Now, 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 I want to stop you, Dan, because I know you might be getting some conflicting information, but Buddhism is not a religion. Um, oh, yeah. Buddhism can be practiced with Christianity, with Judaism, with Islam. Buddhism, uh, I'm looking for the right word here, but it's, it's, yes, it's spiritual, but it's not a religion. It's almost like a set of principles, like well, a way of life. Why the fuck am I talking about it here? Hey, man. Hey, see, that's what I bring to the table. I have see, obscure knowledge, too. You know, I just realized before you cut me off, I said religious philosophies. All right. Yeah. I'll see, my, I'll see myself you. out. I'll it see began myself to out. flourish in the Silk Road uh, route in the second. Yeah, you know, what? don't be century. hating on me because I can flex knowledge without a computer in front of me to do <laughs> research, son. Well, maybe you should be paying attention to your partner, huh? Uh, That's always been my problem. I never pay attention to my partner's needs. (laughs) (laughs) It began to flourish and along the Silk Road in the second and third centuries CE, uh, mainly to its practice by the Kushan Empire that ruled much of the land straddling the Hindu Kush at the northern north of the Indian subcontinent. From there. Go ahead. From there, monks and holy men would fan out along the Silk Road in both directions, spreading their teachings towards China and Africa. Buddhism became popular in China because it does not infringe upon any ancient Chinese religious teachings and instead seem as more of a lifestyle or a way of thought than a religion. Oh, Oh, man. Oh, man. I know I stepped on your toes there. But uh, for the listeners out there, I know some of you think I'm a complete fucking idiot. Uh, That sentence right there, I'm taking that as a win for this episode. Oh, I never said you're wrong. I just, if you'd pay attention, we could have saved some fucking time. Um, And we have have gone on tangents about so much shit. I don't want to hear time conservation on this goddamn show. (laughs) (laughs) We sit down at 8 o'clock sometimes, 7 o'clock. The other day, we sat on Zoom for over an hour looking at our phones and ignoring each other like we were actually hanging out. So <laughs> fuck fuck the time conservation. Actually, that was a great time because it felt so real. Like It was great. Weren't we sending each other memes too? Yeah, yeah. I was texting somebody. You were texting somebody. We were sending each other memes. Every now and then we would say something to each other. But like, that was it. <laughs> hey, man, 2020. So, uh, Silk Road not only moved religion and religious philosophies across Europe and Asia, but introduced the concept of surgery and the hospital to the world. These practices would move from the Horn of Africa into the southern and eastern parts of Europe and into the Middle East. Okay, you got to touch on that, man. Surgery. What kind of surgery are they are like what kind of early surgery are they doing? Uh like uh well here it really talks about like dissolving sutures and stuff like that. Um 
I really should have looked into what kind of surgeries were conducted. Um, that's my fault. <laughs> I feel like I let you down here. No, no, it's just an it's just a good thought uh, exercise, you know, because there was no uh, what what's that called when they give you stuff to put you under or make you feel not feel it. And oh, one of the one of the first surgeries was uh, basically cutting a hole through the skull to expose the brain. Uh, this was thought to cure mental illness, migraines, epileptic uh, seizures, and so on and so forth. Anesthesia. That's what I'm talking about. There was no anesthesia. So imagine how that fucking felt getting the side of your head cut open. Right. Holy shit. Put the leeches on his brain. Get out the mental illness. No, I agree. Oh, and you know what? I just hate how the fat, how like mental illness was represented in years prior to where we're at, you know, cause like so many things could have been considered mental illness, especially if you were a woman, it was even worse. So a lot of, a lot of these surgeries were like bloodletting. Um, uh, what I was just talking about, trepanation and setting bones. Okay. I could see the setting bones as being very beneficial and and the uh, dissolving of sutures. I imagine that was like a miracle back then. Uh, yeah. The advances in medicine over the centuries of Silk Road's prominence are nothing short of stunning. Around the turn of the 11th century, dissolving sutures were used in surgery for the first time, a technique which spread rapidly upon its discovery. It's also during this time that the first uh, cesarean section birth is recorded. To God damn, birth. that's early. Oh, yeah. Dan, fun fact for you. Yes. When I got my first six teeth taken out, they put stitches in, but they were not dissolvable stitches. Oh, that was fucking stupid. It was miserable. I had to go back. And then when I got this last tooth taken out, he didn't give me any stitches. He just left a hole. <laughs> um, medical texts would have written and just distributed widely among uh, the Silk Road that, and traveling physicians would accompany merchants on their travels, sharing knowledge and caring for other travelers. Chinese medicine, which... Dan, yeah, before you yeah. go into this... It seems like the world was a better place back then. Like, I know we talk about history and there's a lot of destruction, but in <clears throat> this specific incidence, it seems like it was a much better world because yeah. people were open and sharing and actually seemed compassionate and kind. Right. No, I agree. And that um, was, if that was anything, that was capitalism at its height. Especially, especially think about the difference of cultures. Like, we're going to read about how. Uh, Genghis Khan with the Mongolians were kind on the road. That's crazy. Like we get culture shock now when we meet someone from a different country with an accent. Could you imagine being like Marco Polo and meeting uh, the cons for the first time? What, it, what, what stifles me is like the language barrier is difficult now, but there's ways around it. How the fuck do you start communicating with someone? Not only you don't know what they're speaking, you've never even knew they were a people. We're going to touch on that a little bit. Okay. Uh, you, you redeemed yourself for the lacking surgery information then. Yeah, whatever. Uh, Chinese <laughs> medicine, which relies heavily on herbal remedies. So, no, no, no. You just, you constantly torture me. You try to push me off my mark. And then you ask me questions like, the one time that I don't do extra research for you. 
All right, guys, listen to the past five episodes. I'm a good question, man. And there is a stumping question in each of these episodes. Yes. Um, you have definitely stepped, stepped your game up. Uh, so again, herbal Chinese remedies. Um, the Chinese were able to incorporate their newfound knowledge to improve the treatments of many ailments. Sharing these remedies and their skills with acupuncture with the outside world led to the rapid expansion of early pharmaceuticals and holistic health practices. Okay, well, don't get mad at me. Don't get mad at me, Dan. But you, you're getting no, you're giving me a lot of information, which is good because I'm taking it all. But like it it's leading me down paths of thought. Like with the Chinese, uh, you said they were innovators in this type of uh medicine. Well, yeah, like herbs and stuff like that. Where, how did they go from that to having people over there now that still believe rhino horn is gonna cure their erection? Well, that's that's their fucking their their culture is steeped with herbal remedies and holistic medicine, like acupuncture and stuff like that. Have you ever tried acupuncture? Yes. Has it, was it effective? Yes. Was it painful? Uh, slightly. It was uncomfortable. I will say that it was uncomfortable. Okay. But it, uh, like I had no back pain for a week at a time. Oh, that's great. Is acupuncture expensive? I went through the VA, so I can't tell you. Okay. Okay. Point for the VA. I I would, uh, yeah, the VA's really stepped forward with holistic uh, remedies over the past couple of years. Like here in Erie, we got the whole six floors, like aromatherapy and stuff like that. Now, now do you take advantage of anything like that? Uh, acupuncture. <laughs> okay. Because I don't know, man. It seems like a lot of times the, uh, VA was really lacking, mm -hmm. but from what I understand, the last couple of years, it's really started to improve. Right. No, I agree. They got, I think Trump signed in like a $60 billion uh, budget increase. That's phenomenal. A loan for the VA or something like that. I can't remember uh, that brain injury we touched on in part one. Uh, sharing these remedies and skills <laughs> again with acupuncture with the outside world led to a rapid expansion uh, of early pharmaceuticals and holistic health practices while hospitals which originated in Egypt would spring up as healing centers in many towns and cities along the Silk Road. Wow, man. This was truly an advanced place for its time. Right. Have you been, I've been to the modern version of the Silk Road, which is essentially Rogers Flea Market in Ohio. It's uh, it's yeah. not nearly as advanced as it used to be. I think I went there. <laughs> it, it's like, uh, it's like a flea market the size of like five football fields. Indoor, outdoor, all crazy shit. Amish people. Yeah. I, uh, I, I've been to a really big one down that way. It's pretty dope. Uh, when COVID's over, hopefully we can check it out sometime. Yeah. So we are going to talk about now, um, in the early days of Silk Road, or today, astronomy and astrology are seen as two separate disciplines. Uh, but in the days of the Silk Road, the sciences grew up as siblings. Do you know what the difference is between astronomy and astrology? 
astrology is where you see the planets align for your spirits and bullshit like that. And uh, astronomy is like the study of stars. Yes. So astrology is a pseudoscience that claims to uh, that claims to hold divine information about human affairs and ter terrestrial events by studying the movements, relative positions of celestial objects. You buy into that at all? Like horoscopes and all that. <sighs> well, not necessarily horoscopes, but like, you know, people say like, oh, something's in retrograde. Not really. And uh, astro astrometry, astrom yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> Go ahead. Fuck off, man. Hey, I didn't do anything. I didn't even <laughs> say anything. Oh, man. You know, I don't know enough about uh, astrology to, like, give an educated opinion. Because I feel like the planets and, and all that has an effect, but I don't know to what effect. And, um, astro fuck, say it for me. Astronomy? Yes. It's, it's like sometimes my mouth just can't move that yeah, way. I like that, and I think that's pretty dope. What? say the word like you can't get the word out i got you brother i like that i appreciate it uh so it's a natural science that studies celestial objects and pneumonia f phenomena sorry i wow uh, <laughs> i just caught which, i just caught that <laughs> <laughs> uses mathematics physics and chemistries in order to explain our origin and evolution this guy's throwing the fuck up. What's the moon doing? <laughs> <laughs> so the study of stars and other heavenly bodies, how they interact and how they can affect the lives of humans were of great interest to many early societies. Mm -hmm. The wealth of a astronomical observations and astrological philosophies along the trading route can not be undermined. Uh, acting separately, early astronomers in China, India, and Babylon would all begin to develop star charts, tracking, and recording movement. That, to me, blows my mind. Mm -hmm. Like Because I don't think I could track or, or create a star chart with today. You know what I mean? So for someone to be able to do that back then, first off... Well, dude, they're all, coming, they're all coming from different... Um, Different backgrounds in different countries, too. Different it, it, cultures. Looking up, though, and this might make me sound like a jackass, it looks the same. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like the moon and a bunch of stars. I don't see anything like, oh, look at this star. Right. No, I agree. And, um, and not to get on one more soapbox, but I think the constellations are fucking stupid. Because <laughs> like, nothing looks like what the fuck it is. Just like tell the big, them to go fuck themselves. The Big Dipper, the Little Dipper, or the Big Bear, the Little Bear. Like, it's, all, it's fucking stupid. The Big Dick, the Little Dick. Hey, don't describe us. <laughs> Piece of shit. Uh, it's up to you, the viewers, to figure out which one's which. The viewers um, know. I make up with personality. <laughs> oh, man. That's why I'm bland and boring, huh? <laughs> you got so, the secret here, folks. <laughs> so these scholars would meet and exchange ideas, and this led to more detailed charts making their way to 
uh, European astronomers, fuck, uh, who would further these ideas and shape the science into its modern form. Astrology was developed alongside astron astronomy. I just can't do it. Uh, <laughs> I began to emerge about tides, planning of crops, and human behavior. In this way, this discipline evolved into the study of divination based on the movement of heavenly bodies. Okay, a couple questions. Uh, the first one, uh, from what you described, was that like an early version of the Farmer's Almanac? Um, no, they're just... Uh, um, they're yeah, just guessing? Kind of, yeah. Okay. Um, just based on like, oh, the stars this year were here, but the crops died, blah, blah, blah. Okay, and I might be jumping ahead if I am, but you mentioned the star maps, they, they were like trading with each other and showing. Did they also do this with other maps? Oh, like, yeah. Like, like of the world? Oh, 100%, man. Did you, you, you ever seen pictures of those old maps where like, mm. don't go down in this sea because there's a fucking serpent down there and shit? Yep. Like, and growing up, when you know in that time period when you get that map and you see that dragon or the serpent or whatever it's not like us now like ha 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 like back then you're like fuck stay out of that water mm -hmm. like that that to me is why i i wish the world was filled with more mystery still these early astronomers and astrologists yeah were able to determine <laughs> the placement and displacement of the stars and planets with breathtaking accuracy Given the primitive nature of the instruments they were using, royal astronomers in China were also behind the creation of the Chinese 12-year zodiac, and they kept time according to the lunar cycle, the main reason that crops are planted on certain moon phases in China, and why those Chinese cultures celebrate the lunar, lunar New Year still today. Dan, I'm a rabbit. What are you? <sighs> No fucking clue. I can tell you I was in Singapore uh, right after the uh, Chinese New Year and it was the year of the ram. Okay. Okay. I don't know what any of that shit really means, though. No, no. I was disappointed, though, because of all the cool-ass animals. I'm a fucking rabbit. I'm just cannon fodder for snakes. It's, it's because you're fast with your friendship. Uh, where's the cricket sound? You're lacking, man. Yeah, man I well, that one got me because I don't even understand the context of the comment. So I'll just, we'll just move you along. Know, you know what I don't understand, Johnny? What's that? Mathematics. And it's another discipline that found its way <laughs> along the Silk Road trading route. Uh, scholars in Greece, Turkey, and the Middle East were very busy making advancements, advancements in the field of algebra, trigonometry, physics, and geometry. The word algebra comes from the Arabic algebar, which translates loosely as completion. Well, we use Arabic numbers, so uh, the mathematics. Arabic numerals. Yeah. yeah. Did you did you see a new study? It's like fifty three percent of Americans believe that Arabic numerals shouldn't be taught in schools. Yeah, that just shows how stupid people are. The mathematic method was developed in Persia in the eighth century. In a book written by scholar Muhammad Musa al Khazarmi would become popular with other scientists and mathemat 
mathematicians of the time. The pronunciation of the Arabic teacher's name would become the basis for the word algorithm. Man, first off, I hate that fucking word algorithm. I really do. Mm -hmm. This year, I've heard that word more times than I could fucking count, and I'm sick of it. Um, second of all, I was I was very proficient in algebra. You know, no problems whatsoever. However, um, without advanced calculators, I don't think I'd be able to do any of that shit. Right. <clears throat> the Chinese uh, also gave the world one of the earliest calculation tools, uh, the abacus, and the mm -hmm. Eastern scholars wrote. wrote um, many papers and books on the use of calculus with real world applications. These texts would make their way West on the Silk Road and change the face of mathematic applications in medicine, 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 <laughs> agricultural and physiology. You sound like Elliot Burns. Shout out to my homie, Elliot. I was going to say Mike Tyson, but yeah, sure. Well, I, I don't know who's tougher so, of the two. So, Johnny, here we go. The language barrier was a huge concern for people living and traveling along the Silk Road, uh, with dozens of separate languages and dialects being spoken on the main route. Within the centuries of the road's prominence, um, culture exchange, although the impact of this was probably not noticed uh, at the time, later historians examining the development of written and spoken Chinese dialects would discover that nearly 35,000 words entered the Chinese lexicon over the course of the Silk Road. Oh, wow. That's uh, a hell of an expansion. Dan, do you know any other languages? Do you speak any other languages? Uh, I used to know a handful of like Pashto, which was the popular language in the region I deployed to in Afghanistan. But I, I couldn't tell you any now. If you uh, ever wanted to learn a language, what would it be? Oh man. Um huh. I'll give you my answers. Yeah. Um, I know enough Spanish to survive if they drop me off in Mexico. Nice. So I'm good on there. I, I took about five, six years of Spanish. I'm not fluent at all, but I can figure out how the fuck to find the bathroom and shit, you know, enough to be fine. But if I, I want to eventually learn two more languages specifically, and that's Arabic and uh, Cantonese. No, Mandarin. Oh, nice. Uh, I would have to say French. French? Okay. Because I'd like to go do like a tour of like World War One and World War II battlefields, and that would help out a lot. If I spoke a language kind of like that, I would want to speak Creole. Huh. Yeah, I have some very, uh, very close people to me uh, for many years in my life that are uh, Haitian and speak Creole. Creole. Huh. So um, in the Indian subcontinent, uh, they spoke Sanskrit and Arabic dialects. And this would take over the linguistic culture of the Middle East and also had a lasting effect on the languages of Asia, Eurasia, and Europe. There are words still used today in every language that originated on the Silk Road. If you even washed your hair, you used a word with the Sanskrit root, shampoo. Sanskrit also gives us the word man, thug, and pundit. All three can describe the same person sometimes. Yep. Huh. Well, that's, that's interesting that they have a name. I, I can understand them having a name for man and getting a name for thug. 
you know, because robbery and what have you. But for Pundit, there had to be a specific situation that happened. And, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> that's not a word that just rolls and, off the tongue. Uh, along the Silk Road, words like ketchup and gun ho were derived from Mandarin Chinese. Ketchup? Uh, yes. I wonder, huh, I never knew that. The language exchange from Arabic, uh, lasting effect on the language of Asia, Eurasia, and Europe. There are words still used today in every language that originated. Oh, I skipped backwards instead of going forward. Hey, um, Growing pains. We get there. Uh, so it's, the one language, those, it's one of these situations where, like, I'll fuck with you all day, but yeah, people don't try and fuck with Dan just because I do it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so there's also a language exchange between Arabic, Roman, and Germanic languages is also common. If you love coffee, satin, and drafts, think the Arabic language because that's where all those words originated. Other language influences along the Silk Road came from various dialects of Persian. Uh, the most famous likely being khaki, uh, referring to a shade of tan and commonly used for casual dress pants and military uniforms. Oh, you got me on that, Dan. You definitely got me on that one, because when you said that, I thought you were meaning like it was the language that came out of it. Oh, no, and, no. And I was like, I never heard of khaki. <laughs> you got me on that one. The word comes from the color of the sandy dust found in the eastern regions of Persia. So the next time you wear a pair of khakis, you can get a chuckle out of being dressed as a dust cloud. I only recently have a pair of khakis. I haven't worn any in years. Uh, the reason I have khakis now is because your boy can fit a size 36. That's fucking so awesome. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We're working out here, fuckers. So now we're going to talk about people. One of the very first ones, Zhang Ken Chen. Uh, Zhang, Zhang Kim Chin? No, Zhang Chin. I uh, I listened to pronunciations earlier because it's Q-I-A-N. Q-I-A-N, okay. You pronounce it like Ch. Uh, one <laughs> of the first uh, men to explore the, uh, the route that would become the Silk Road was Zhang Chin. Chin. Uh, and the emissary sent by the Han Emperor Wu. Remember this? Yes, sir. Uh, Zhang was a member of Wu's court. And, and a highly, Wu was of the Han dynasty? Yes. Okay. And a highly respected military officer who uh, would spend nearly two decades traveling in service of the uh, dynasty, including 13 years of the uh, as a captive of the Xiangu people. During this time as a prisoner here, he took a wife and had a child. That's that. Oh, hold on. That's cr like that's crazy. Like as a prisoner, mm -hmm. take a wife and and make a child. Like I get it, but that's wild. He escaped with his family and his traveling companion, Gan Fu. Uh, Zeng's capi captivity didn't stop him from completing his original mission to make contact, open trade, and form an an alliance with the U Uazi tribes of modern day Tajikistan. Zhang would return to court in 125 uh, BC. The mission <sighs> had taken a heavy troll toll on the Zhang and Ganfu's exploration party 
though only uh, the two men returned from a contingent of a hundred. Oh shit! Only two of them. Zhang's reports of the people living to the west would eventually bring about the beginning of trade with many of those tribes, allowing Han uh, wealth to flow out of the empire and livestock and agricultural products to flow in. Zhang died in uh, 114 BCE, having mm -hmm. been made <laughs> the palace chancellor and fulfilling his promise to the emperor uh, to begin commerce with outside nations and tribes. I will I will just say the first one, you guys already know the title of the first one, and this second one isn't going to be named that, but I'm dedicating it to Jesus. <laughs> um, although you dedicated the first one, too. Uh, although hey man, I dedicate my whole life to Jesus. Uh, although... Right. <laughs> Although trade along the Silk Road was often handled. No, 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 no. Fuck this trade. He had me on uh, with someone else earlier and they started talking about sex and trying their best to make me uncomfortable. So, hey, motherfucker, Jesus is the reason for the season. God damn it. <laughs> the irony of that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So a long trade, uh, trade along the Silk Road was often handled by relay or middlemen, the Sogdian people of Central Asia, um, an area which now covers parts of Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan, and Kyrgyzstan. Uh, I can pronounce those, but I can't pronounce astronomy. <laughs> hey, there you go. Yeah, hey, I did it. Next time we do an episode with like cultures like this, I got to get my globe out. Yeah, man. Uh, it's also on me. I could have sent you maps and shit. Well, no, uh, no. I mean, I know, like, it's one of them things, like, I know the general vicinity. Yeah. Uh, but, like, in my head, I could point it out on a map. But in my head, I just can't perfectly place it. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I, I get exactly what you're saying. So, the, this tribe was renowned for covering part of the route, which stretched for nearly 1,500 miles. The Sogdians were first contacted by Zhang Chen, uh, Chen on his epic journey into the West in the uh, 130s, and the tribes would continue to trade along the Silk Route until the demise of their anonymy around uh, 1000 CE. What does that mean, their anonymy? Uh, they no longer controlled themselves. Okay. I'm not being a dick here. No, I know. You mean uh, autonomy? Yes. Okay. Uh, a U T N O N O M E. Uh, yeah. The Sogdians were a peaceful people who practiced such religions um, as uh, Zoroastrianism and later Buddhism before fully converting to Islam around the time of the becoming a part of the uh, Uyghur. Empire, uh, because the Sogdian tribes did not live within set borders, but instead in a city a series of city states, they were often under threat from surrounding empires and people. Dan, um, if you don't have an answer to this, this one's fine because it's obscure. But do you know anything about that uh, religion you mentioned? Can no. you mention it again? No. Say it again. Here, you want me to spell it for you? No, just say it. Uh, 
the the roasting trianism. It's Z O R O A S T R I A N I S M. Just curious. I never heard of that one. Yeah. I'm sure it was some type of religion very similar to what, you know. Um, so uh, their language was also lost to time uh, as Persian became the dialect of choice for much of their geographical location. Uh, they were able to trade equally with Eastern Europe to the west and China and India to the east made the Sogdians a wealthy people. Hey, Dan. Maybe, yes. Another question off topic surprise. Um, the Persians seem like they've been very important throughout history with yep. a lot of uh, our topics. Persians have come up. What happened to them to, to make them modern day Iran? Just uh, Iraq, um, Iraq, Iran, that area, uh, basically just time. Um, eventually the Persians were conquered and then, who are uh, those who conquered them were, you know, burnt out and so on and so forth. Their, their empires just gave away the time. It's so wild. And I know it's part of, you know, the natural progression of things, but there's these great fucking kingdoms and lands throughout history that if they kept going on the trajectory they were at, were, were going to be phenomenal. And they were ahead of their times and they would just fall out. Right. Egypt, uh, Babylon, like so many places. So these guys were also, uh, yeah, man, I agree. Uh, just standing the test of time, I guess, you know, I wonder, like, I wonder in a thousand or 500 years, what will become of the USA? Uh, I think we'll become a worldwide federation at some point. I could see that, man. I could also see at some point the U S like crumbling. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, I don't want that to happen, but. <clears throat> so uh, much like the U.S., the Sogdians were also skilled farmers and craftsmen, growing <laughs> crops to feed their livestock and producing leather goods and stone carvings. Uh, man, I'm getting good at that. Silk, <laughs> silk yeah, that was a good one. And precious stones made their way west from China through Sogdian lands and were later passed on to the Byzantine Roman empires and other points in the U S uh, in exchange for agricultural products like alfalfa grapes and wool, along with coral and other Mediterranean products made their way back to China. Unfortunately, we talked about this earlier. Unfortunately, some of their trade also consisted of the sale of slaves, mm. often young women. Okay. So, so let me ask, at, like, I know women had roles as slaves, as like, uh, you know, sometimes they were essentially house moms or yeah. caretakers for other children, shit like that, cooks. Um, was it pretty much included that they were like sex slaves as well? Yeah. That's rough. Uh, so Alexander the Great was, all, was also known to be enamored with the Sogdian culture, uh, taking a wife named Roxana, who bore himself bore him a half Sogdian son. Sogdian, um, for just to make it easy to understand, it's just like a half Middle Eastern child like him. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, they dominated the landscape of the Silk Road for nearly eight centuries, but the uh, 
their dominance would end after the Islamification and territorial wars between neighbor, neighboring powers in the 11th century. You know, it's funny because I know a bunch of other people that also blame Islam for a bunch of shit. <laughs> uh, Johnny, 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 Johnny. Uh, <laughs> so here we are. I think here's a part that you're going to rather enjoy. Uh, you know what? You know what, fucker? I have been thoroughly enjoying this whole goddamn episode. Well, you know what you're going to enjoy even more? A, a, a cool What in the History shirt from our Teespring store. Check it out, guys. <laughs> the Mongols, under their fierce leader Genghis Khan, played a large role in the latter days of the Silk Road. By I, just want, I just want people to know that Muggsy Bogues was taller than Genghis Khan. <laughs> that Spud Webb Tower Johnny, over you are dating yourself, man. Yeah, Earl Boykins was significantly taller than Spud a lot Webb. of people just watch Space Jam nowadays and go, Who's the short one? Yeah, <laughs> you guys don't know. He was one of the best ball handlers around until uh, and this is his words, not mine, till Michael Jordan called him a midget, and his career was literally never the same after that. Oh, damn. Like, so yeah, that's the truth. Genghis Khan played a large role in uniting much much of Eastern and Central Asia in the 13th century, Genghis Khan was not only a feared warlord whose horsemen still uh, today still symbolize the best of uh, ancient cavalry training, but he was a forward thinking leader who sought to have the best te techno technology and goods at his people's disposal. Because, go ahead. It's weird to see someone painted in a light like that because yeah. Genghis Khan was such a conqueror and like the rape and pillage of lands was so destructive that in my head, I always see him as like, not necessarily foaming at the mouth, but just like out there nuts. And they, like to hear all that, it's just, it's, it's fascinating in a, in a different light. Right. So um, he would bring Middle Eastern scientists to, sciences to China, including astronomy, mathematics and cartography and return the use of Chinese pyrotechnics and gunpowder became more widespread throughout the whole of Europe and Chinese paper and printing technologies were also dispersed to the West. The Mongolians empire's horsemen would also serve as a courier service along the trade route, passing communications from way station to way station, including news letters and military orders to couriers would protect unarmed travelers such as Buddhist monks and cut off any hostile parties with swift military maneuvers. Even off after the death of Genghis Khan, the Mongols continued to influence the movement of people, goods, and services along the Silk Road until after the passing of Genghis's grandson, Kubla Khan. Uh, that, uh, Johnny Smith here uh, with questions that are off topic. Um, when Genghis Khan died, did his son take over for him? Yes. And his son after him? Yep. Okay. So his son after him was Kubla Khan. I like the name Khan. I always have. It's mm. just, it's crazy that, he, like, his influence back then still stands today. Right. Like, people don't realize how, how you know, you can affect stuff in the future. Uh, so... As Christianity and Islam began to develop simultaneously in Europe and Asia, the two religions became embroiled in the holy wars that lasted nearly mm -hmm. two centuries. 
Oh, I don't That's, think uh, I don't think they added up all the totals. Uh, and one oh nine, one uh, ten ninety five CE ending and twelve seventy one CE. Each crusade would see an army of Christian warriors uh, marching to try to seize the Middle East, considering to be the birthplace of Christ, and therefore a holy land that they believe belonged to them and not to the early Muslims. First this off, was, they are still going through that bullshit. Um, were they still like still talking about uh, what I guess modern day Jerusalem? Yeah. Okay, so it was all that the Mecca and all that. Mm-hmm. See, that's been going on for thousands of years, man. And people say, oh, can't they just have peace? No. No, they can't. And I guess, you know, when when it's been going on for thousands of years like that, that's how you're raised and it's ingrained in you. Mm-hmm. Can't just can't just wake up one morning and be like, oh, I love these people when they're still trying to kill you too, I guess. Right, man. There will never be peace amongst religions. That's that's a shame too, because most religions preach peace, but it's not real peace. It's peace if you agree with me. Boy, we've gotten awful preachy this episode. I mean, it's just like you know, you know my stance, Dan. As much as we we talk shit, I want everybody to love each other. I try and love everybody, and like even the people I don't like, I don't, I don't, I don't go out of my way to harass them. Like, chill the fuck out. Mm. And and it, it just it's like all you talk all all you hear about over there in like Israel and the Gaza Strip and all that area is them fighting for land and they've been fighting for that land for thousands of fucking years. It's ridiculous. Right. Um. So the uh, Silk Road provided a route directly to the heart of Islamic territories. Many Crusaders traveled along the road to wage their wars, but because the road was also such a major trade corridor, the Christian armies also inadvertently became some of the best paying customers for traders dealing in armor. Now, when you are calling these guys uh, Christians, are they, are they Christians or are they are they Catholic? Uh, Knights Templar, I believe. Okay, okay. And I know somebody's going to get mad at me for splitting hairs, but I was asking like uh, if the Inquisition had anything to do with this. No, no. The Inquisition was after. Okay. We'll we'll talk about more of this more in March. Okay. Um, the downside, other than two centuries of turmoil and war, was that the armies were notorious for leaving behind their trash, which festered in a hot desert climate, causing disease and filth. Um, when the Crusades came to a close near the end of the 13th century. The men returning to Europe would carry with them Arabic technologies and newfound uh, knowledge in meteorology, astronomy, and math. Uh, see, I can say it now. Uh, you just it through that, too. The groups, uh, like the Knights Templar, would find a new call protecting wealthy travelers along the Silk Road. It's also believed that the Crusades and the sciences the Crusaders brought home with them would directly lead to the beginning of the Renaissance, uh, taking medieval Europe out of the Dark Ages. Now, when that was brought over, I'm surprised they didn't act like it was a heresy or the devil or, you know what I mean, that type of shit. Yeah. I'm surprised they actually embraced it. 
So, uh, Johnny, who is the most famous person to travel the Silk Road? Uh, I would say uh, just from what, here in this Genghis Khan. Marco Polo. Okay. Marco Polo was born in Venice in 1254 CE, the son of a merchant named Niccolo, who was away with his brother Matthew on a trading mission when young Marco was born. The two elder Polos visited China on that trip and returned to Venice in 1269. So well over 10 years later. Okay. So they were uh, just gone for a decade. Yeah. Well, he was born in 1254 and his dad wasn't there. And his dad came back in 1269. Oh, so he essentially grew up without a father. Yep. Uh, uh, his I mother. Him so much more now. His mother had passed away. Um <clears throat> And he was reaching an age in which relatives no longer felt obligated to take care of him. Uh, Marco then embarked with his father and uncle back to the east, reaching China in 1275 CE. So it took it took six years of travel or so. Uh, they carried with them letters from the Pope to Kublai Khan and were accompanied by Roman Catholic priests to add to the gravity of the Pope's missives. Uh, upon reaching the court of the great Khan, the Polos would become uh, valued members of the Khan's diplomatic team. Now, I didn't ask this because I don't want to step on something you're already going to mention, but I didn't hear it yet. Um, what the hell did the Pope have to say to Khan? Uh, I'm not sure. Probably just like, hey, don't kill us. <laughs> That's a fair enough message. Uh, so the the three polos were in the cult of co, court of Kublai Khan for seventeen years, acting as emissaries within the empire, as well as modern day India, Burma, and Vietnam. So impressed with their diplomatic and uh, merchant skills that he refused their various requests to leave China to return to their native Venice. Khan finally agreed to let the polos leave his service in twelve ninety one. Now, was there any agreement that they would come back? Because I just can't see him letting them leave. No, this was the agreement, was that they had to deliver the Mongol princess Kokochin uh, to her betrothed husband in Persia. So they had to go all the way to Persia. After safely accompanying the princess to her new life, the three Venetians returned home to find their city-state in conflict with neighboring Genoa. That had to be the worst part of being a world traveler back then. Like, it took forever, which mm. it is what it is. But you could be gone for years. You come back after 10 years excited, I'm sure. Get home, see your family, and then you're at fucking war. So, <coughs> even returning with her eastern riches, uh, it couldn't protect them from being caught up in the war. And then 1296... Marco Polo was taken prisoner by the Genoans. Uh, it was during his captivity that he described his adventures in China to his cellmate, who began to chronicle the tales in written form. Polo you know, you know, uh, this is a good segue, um, because when we first started talking about Silk Road, the only Silk Road I knew about was the dark website um, yeah. where you could buy whatever. And I mentioned that because you mentioned his cellmate. I learned about it from a cellmate I had that uh, was buying Molly off the dark web. Oh, what a quinky dink. Yeah, he um, got a federal case. Huh, nice. 
Um, so oh, you know what? You know what? Also to integrate, he was getting it from China. Huh. Yeah. Uh, so once he was released, he rejoined his family merchant business. While the Polos would never return to the East, they grew even more wealthy from the facilitation of trade along the Silk Road and their good relationship with the empires and tribes of Central and the Eastern Asia. Khan seems like he was the reasonable Khan. So the stories, yeah, uh, the stories that Polo, well, they, even Genghis, like, Genghis understood the importance of the Silk Road, you know, as a trade mm -hmm. route. He could have destroyed everything, but he didn't. Uh, so the stories that Polo relayed to his uh, cellmate will be printed and distributed in a variety of languages. Although there is no known master copy to exist today, the same author would also take Polo's experiences and write a handbook of sorts for foreign merchants, a primer on weights, measures, and monetary conversions. Um, what, what system of, of weights and measures did they use back then? Do you know? I don't know. Like, I know, you know, we have, what is it, the English system we use and everyone else's metric, essentially? We have um, we have the system that got us to the moon and everybody else has metric. Oh, look at <laughs> Listen to that. I know in, uh, what is it, over in, like, England or the UK, they still use, like, the measurements of stone and shit sometimes. Huh. Uh, so the travel, that's weird. The travels and adventures of the Polo family stand as a tribute to the efficiency of their trading and diplomatic skills. And their two and a half decades of accomplishments on the Silk Road are a testament to those skills and their endurance as travelers. It's estimated the fun, uh, the Polo family trekked 15,000 miles in their time in Asia. Wow, that's quite a bit. And yeah, uh, if people were wondering... I'm 18 and a half stone. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I, I believe a, a stone is 14 pounds. Hmm. If I'm so, correct. So the Silk Road met its demise in the 15th century when several social, economic, and political factors came together to create a perfect storm that would signal the end of the road. Huh. Guess who, guess who we're about to talk about. God damn, there's so many people. I have that, no idea. That one empire that always keeps brought up with you. Um, I don't know. Not, this is my chance to shine, I feel like, and I'm sitting here like a fucking dud. Uh, so one of the elements that led to the downfall of the Silk Road was the rise of the Ottoman Empire and along the Mediterranean, uh, occupying much of the modern Turkey and the surrounding lands. Huh. When okay. the Ottomans took over the capital at Constantinople. Yes, in 1453, they immediately blocked all trade with the West and began to place high tariffs on any goods traveling through the regions. Oh, that was so stupid. They hindered so much shit. Historians seem to agree that the Turks were acting, up, acting upon the difference of religion of their Muslim empire the Christianity of the majority of Europe, furthering the tensions that had been caused by the Crusades earlier. I hate to be that guy, but like, what the fuck, people? Uh, yeah. Uh, with the land routes through Turkey all but inaccessible, traders 
begin to have to rethink their business plans. Traders coming from China and India soon got news that the Ottomans were pricing people out of their territory and began to find alternate ways to move their goods into Europe. The Ottomans had achieved their goal of deterring the majority of outside trade and made good money off the traders who were wealthy enough to pay their outrageous tariffs. This is this is like uh I don't know, man, like they they get, get just for the the accumulation of money. They right. seem like they gave up so much. Yeah, and uh we talk about perfect storms in history. This is another one. Uh because along with this, uh by the 7th century ships were regularly making stops at ports in India and China by the time the Ottomans blocked trade in uh, 1453, the world was ripe for the beginning of the age of exploration. Now, Marco Polo, did he went on to explore uh, the Americas? No. No? Where did he explore? Just Silk Road? Yeah, basically. So, huh, okay. Where the fuck does that game come from then? I know this is a stupid question, but how the fuck is that relevant to him? I, I have no idea, dude. Okay, I'll accept that. I'll accept that. Um, merchants began to see the ocean as their new ticket to uh, wealth and collaborated with government, private shipping, shipbuilders, and other traders to get the fastest, most seaworthy uh, trips and the best cargo. Soon, tea, spices, porcelain, and textiles from the east were flown steadily into the ports across Europe creating new markets and furthering the cultural exchange that had begun on the overland routes. Shipping allowed merchants to move larger quantities of goods, and though it had its own dangers, rapidly became a reliable source of transport throughout the expanding world culture. Hmm. Well. And also a combination of, you know, improved cartography and compasses, thanks to Silk Road, led to uh, more accurate naval uh, navigation. It had to be a hell of a thing to draw a map, though, back then. Like, oh, especially yeah. with the land masses. Uh, sea travel would also prove to be a cultural downfall for some regions, though. Uh, opening their ports to an increasing number of foreigners eventually led to mass colonization of places like India, Southeast Asia, and Africa. Yeah, it definitely did. Traders, um, another one that, uh, another like perfect storm that kind of shut down the road was the Black Plague. Mm. Uh, traders carrying goods along the Silk Road also carried the plague, often on the rats and fleas that would infest their cargo. It's possible that the fleas made home in furs and textiles being transported along the route. Oh, shit. That would be terrible. You get a fur and it's full of fleas. Now, am I correct? It's either the Black Plague or the Bubonic Plague that prior to that, um, they seen cats as a menace and they had hired people to hunt the cats. Yeah. And which led to the spread of rats, you know, not dying and spreading this disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the years 1338 and 1339, uh Large numbers of deaths were reported from a plague-like illness in Central Asia, which then spread west and east along the Silk Road. Historians say that this is likely the origin of the Black Death because the bacteria which caused the illness 
thrived in warm, dry climates like the interior plains of Asia. The Black, they, Death, the Black Death might not have been nearly as devastating if they would just wore their fucking masks. Shut the fuck up. Uh, <laughs> the Black Death caused an estimated... No, it wouldn't matter because it was transported, transported by a fleet. Dan, I know that. <laughs> oh, the Black Death caused an estimated 60 to 75 million deaths. <laughs> That's a lot of destruction. That's quite unfortunate. If only they had kept their cats around. Uh, between 1338 and 1350. So in a span of less than 20 years, 60 to 75 million people died. Now, that's a lot of people, no matter how you slice it. But do you understand what the significance was in relation to the world population? I I don't know the numbers. Because 60 million, it's not even, a, what, like a sixth of, of our country now? So, I mean, that's a lot of people. But fucking... 60 million hundreds of years ago had to be a significant uh, part of the population. I don't know, man. All that stuff. Just, like, it, it's so fascinating how so many things have such a domino effect. Like, what would the world be like if they left their cats around? You know what I mean? What would, be, what would the world be like if they would have started washing their hands 200 years sooner? You know, or, or, or 300 years sooner? You know, it's just... It's it's crazy. It's, it's unfortunate how things have a butterfly effect too. You know, one little thing like Silk Road, perfect opportunity of what we're talking about. What you know, I don't want to say one little thing, but Silk Road led um, through the shockwaves, I guess, of history. So many things that we deal with today. We just we talked about in episode one, fine China. You know that started in Silk Road. Fuck. Let's be honest. Uh, without Silk Road, there might not be uh, internet, you know, or, or, or paper. Paper advanced everything. Like, I don't know, people take paper for granted these days, but it's very fucking important. Dan, uh, your mic's not on, brother. I, that's that's why I was going on a rant. Yeah, um, that's weird. Uh, also, gunpowder, like... That changed the face of war forever. Mm -hmm. it, chased, it, it, it changed so many things because we think about it just as uh, weaponry, you know, but uh, explosives, it led to explosives. That led to um, colonization is not the right word, but like being able to move structures and, and use the land, you know, like there's a mountain here or get it out of the fucking way, you know, explode shit. Uh, one of the main reasons it was so easy for the plague to travel the Silk Road was uh, the animal companions. A large caravans of horses, camels, and donkeys would produce excrement, which uh, shit, which attracted rats, and those rats would be <laughs> carrying the plague-ridden fleas. You know, Dan, I was up in New York this year. Um, I forgot where it was, but I, I was walking through a park. It was in Central Park, and I just happened to sit down on a bench and I kept hearing this rustling behind me and I didn't pay it too much mind. And then every now and then I'd see like a rat run across the walkway and I turn around behind me, Dan, there were thousands of fucking rats behind me. Oh yeah, man. Uh, walk through the, uh, the monuments around, um, 
uh, the Lincoln Monument at night in D.C., you'll see them. They're huge. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous, man. So once a human received a bite from an infected flea, they would become contagious to other humans around them. Now, I imagine, too, the itching from a flea bite only spread it because I'm sure you scratch yourself yeah. wrong. While sailing instead of trekking came with its own set of dangers, many began to prefer their wrist on ships rather than by land, feeling that scurvy was likely better than leprosy. And I wish they would have known scurvy had a fairly easy solution, too. Mm-hmm. Like, just eat some goddamn oranges. Right. No, I agree. Um, so another factor that led to the demise of the Silk Road was under the Mongols was that uh, silk wasn't uh, just that precious anymore. Having exported the secret to making silk, other Chinese commodities became more in demand. Things like herbal medicine, porcelains, other textiles, jade, arts, uh, trinkets, and furniture. It simply became a matter of economic shipping by sea rather than overland was more efficient method of moving goods and people and reaching a larger market. Now, I know they had, you know, for the time, more advanced uh, technology and mapping and compasses and all that. But the ocean is fucking huge, man. And mm -hmm. there had to be a lot of people lost at sea, especially during those early times. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. We'll probably talk about some of these explorers in the future. Um, right and Europe's shifting power also meant a shift to shipping rather than moving goods over land. Mediterranean merchants and governments in Rome and Athens, as well in the north of Africa, realized that the tariffs imposed by the Ottomans were too steep to be worth it and took their chances on the ocean and the brave men brave enough to sail them. The advent of the age of exploration meant that other European powers were getting in on the global import-export business. The British famously still drank fast, vast quantities of tea, which, of course, they received from China and India, notwithstanding the fact that they found tea and spices so valuable that they felt the need to uh, colonize and subjugate India for 300 years. China? India. No, no, China subjugated them? England did. Oh, okay, over the tea. Uh, by the 14th century, the Islamization of the region was complete. But the so-called Golden Age of Islam ended in the 13th century with the Siege of Baghdad and the attempted conquest of the Mongols. Dan, that's so crazy to me that imagine drinking a Mountain Dew for the first time and, and it being so good that you decide you got to take over the country. <laughs> what the fuck? This tea is so good. These motherfuckers are about to be slaves. <laughs> It was during the golden age that vast scientific, uh, philosophic, crazy. and mathematical advances were made, as chronicled in um, earlier. Starbucks would have brought about genocide. Yes, but the combination of the Christian Crusades, the Mongol invasion, and the infestation of disease began to make the Middle Eastern cultures wary of outsiders. Slowly, the uh, caravan Sarah's and trading posts began to disappear from the Middle Eastern landscape. Oh, man. With the loss of trade from the East and the West, the people of Central Asia turned their, back, turned their attention back to other pursuits, chiefly ag agriculture and craftsmanship, but also civil and political unrest. Many power plays were made across the steppes of Asia 
in the centuries between the closure of the Silk Road and the borders we see on a map today. That's another thing, too, that I always wondered about. Like, I know borders are set as they are now, but how do they determine these borders? You know what I mean? Because not none of them are, like, real linear. Like, it's always like, blah, 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 yeah. blah over this crate like how did you how did you guys determine okay we're gonna keep this set of mountains this set of lakes we're keeping this desert <clears throat> oh yeah i don't know man um so a lot a lot of old parts of the silk road has been designated a UNSEC, unseco unesco world uh heritage site and preservation is underway in several countries now you had mentioned uh unseco yeah. You had mentioned Yunseko in uh, episode one. Do you want to tell just a little bit briefly what that is? Uh, so it is the United Nations Educational, Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. It's a specialized agency of the UN aimed at promoting world peace and security through international cooperation in education, sciences, and culture. You control the poppy seeds. You control the world peace. Right. Um it was founded in November 16th, 1945. Okay. Its headquarters is in Paris, France. And it's just, uh, their mission is to like, you know, spread uh, a heritage of culture and stuff like that. So there's a lot of, a lot of these old like bazaars and travel plazas that are uh, maintained, not maintained and manned, but just um, left as monuments and stuff like that preserved through time. That's good, man, because I know there was a lot of monuments or significant pieces of architecture in the Middle East specifically that were destroyed just because of warfare. So the significance of the trading route on the course of globalization is without measure, and the cities, travelers, and goods that dotted the Silk Road should not be forgotten. Yeah, no, it's it impacted everything. The Silk Road was either the direct cause of the invention of or the spread of so many innovative tools and schools of thought. The Middle East may not be made up of Islamic nations, nor the great portion of Eastern Asia be practicing Buddhists without the Silk Road. Mm. Uh, from the forward-thinking Han Dynasty leaders who created the need for the road to the Ottoman Turks who saw more value in closing the route than maintaining it, world leaders were focused for centuries on the importance of the Silk Road. Yeah, I wonder when he started that, was it because it was either because he heard or he had just guessed, like he, trading with people, there was other stuff. He, they, it was this out of this need to like explore kind of, but he also wanted to, they knew there was other uh, empires and stuff, but mm -hmm. it just came out of this, um, this kind of need to explore what's around them. Okay. I feel like we all have that inside of us a little bit. Right. But uh, let me ask you a question, Johnny. Okay. So this is a very important knowledge to know. Yes. Uh, they, I mean, <clears throat> can the, the effects of the Silk Road spread so deep on our culture. Why do you think you never learned about it in school? Dan, you told me you were going to ask me this question. I've been racking my brain all episode thinking about this. And uh, I really don't have a solid answer for it. Neither do I. And that's the part that baffles me. 
we should know about this. We, I was taught about Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, and all these cultures of the world, but how come nobody ever said like, here's the Silk Road. It went from here to here. You know, we got compasses, gunpowder, porcelain, spice trade, uh, even religious ideas were spread into the uh, ether, so to speak. And, you know, <clears throat> this, they were, it was around for over a thousand years and it's still like um, the importance is still felt today. And it's like, why, why did it come down to two large men on a podcast talking about this? Um, I feel like if they would have included this in the curriculum, they would have had less time to talk about the Anglo-Saxons. That's fair. But, uh, the Silk Road didn't get its name until years after, centuries after uh, the Silk Road dissolved. And huh. the Silk and Silk, as we talked about it, it was one of the first things to be traded, but it wasn't the only thing. But you know, it's not like they could be like the trade route that created mankind. You know, yeah. Dan, what was it? What do you know? What it was called uh, during its time? I just think the trade route. Uh, you know, I, I, I haven't found in the videos I watched and uh, the book I read, there's no mention what it was called before then. So oh. I don't think they named it. They just said, oh, the trade route. You going over east? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that, that's interesting. I'm sure they had some type of uh, you know colloquial name for it. But it's probably just lost to history. Yeah. Huh. I mean, this this whole episode, both episodes were fucking fascinating as shit. I knew like I knew the briefest amount about Silk Road. I feel much more prepared moving forward, although it's not going to come up in conversation much. Hey man, I'm preparing you for when you get to Jeopardy. Well, you know what? I was thinking about this earlier that I we always talk about how much we love doing this. Mhm. And I always look forward to it. And it's actually a lot of it spills over into my daily life. Like I find myself having conversations with people and just bringing up shit. We talked about on this show all the time. Right. Like it's crazy. I don't know, man. It, 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 like I, <laughs> I'm disappointed in you, Dan. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you asked me that at the beginning of the show, I treated it like a riddle. I was like, I'm going to try and figure this out. But at the end, he's going to tell me if I got it wrong and I'm going to be satisfied. No, I was <laughs> asking, I was asking you to see if your brain could figure anything out because trust me, I spent about a day on this question and I can't tell you why I wasn't taught it. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, we're taught about Mesopotamia and the cradle of civilization. Yeah. Um, why why not talk about the trade route that sparks so much invention, so much peaceful religious talk? I mean well, mm, yeah, that's well, you know, we learn about uh we learn about the Romans, you know, we learn about the Greek, we learn about all types of stuff. I don't I don't under, like this was important. Mm-hmm. Very it, it, much. It set the wheels in motion for modern society. Yeah. And it gave a great example that especially now we can look back to as far as being civil to one another. Exactly. Uh, religious uh, freedom of religion, you know, um, I just, it's like, you know, when religion was first created or like these bigger religions, like, 
Islam, Christianity. Um, I just think like people were just so open to discuss it because people were still learning about it. I mean, that seems fair, you know, but I don't know. Maybe it's a, 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 a bit of a situation about like today, like, cause I think I touched on it. You know, people be like, Oh, I'm Christian, but don't do anything, you know, as far as like worship or putting the effort in, maybe I mean, there was a lot more people that were like, yeah, I'm Muslim. Cause my, you know, my country's Muslim. So I'm Muslim, but like we can bullshit and blah, blah, blah. I I just think because the free freedom of moving borders, just the the idea of talking to somebody from another culture and learning from them, because a lot of these guys were scholars that stopped and talked. And I just think kind of like we talked about last week in Operation Pepper Paperclip, the the urge for knowledge and the urge for um, advancing your work uh, ascended everything, even morality. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. It, you know, I guess there's a lot in history though, that we don't learn about technically. Right. And that's what we're here for, Johnny. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I always had a bit of an itch in history class, you know, about this and that. Honestly, Dan, I'll be upfront with you. There's not a lot of topics that I, that I won't try and learn about, but like, uh, I just mentioned them like the Anglo-Saxons and shit. We got so much of that boring shit shoved down our throats that I don't ever want to have a topic about that shit. So next week, stay tuned while we talk about the British Empire. <laughs> no, uh, next week should be a great episode. If we're talking about uh, the history of Santa and essentially the creation of Santa as we know him today. And we are going to be talking a little bit about Krampus. That's going to be a really fun episode. Who's joining us for Shop Talk on, on that episode? Uh, that'll be Trip Ainsworth. Oh, you guys know Trip. Uh, we've all sucked each other off on each other's podcasts. Uh, yep. And also, look for mine and Dan's appearance on his podcast on January 1st. Oh, yeah. We're doing a podcast that day. Awesome. We're, we're going to attempt to do a podcast. Um, Dan, you've never seen Drunk John. <laughs> no. <laughs> Most, there's like seven people in the world who have seen Drunk John. And uh, we're going we're gonna to live stream it that night. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, but this week, who's joining us on Shop Talk for this episode? Did you confirm with him already? I didn't shoot out to him. I was kind of figuring you were going to since you know him better. Okay. Well, let's keep that uh, Let's keep that to ourselves right now because I had another guy in, in mind as well. Okay. Well, well, man, I'm learning new things too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, either way, the guest we have uh, for Shop Talk is going to be a very fun and entertaining episode. Well, well folks, uh, please, again, follow our Facebook page. Um, like, share, subscribe, wherever you can. Leave reviews. Leave reviews on our Facebook page, please, at What in the History Pod. Um, thank you for taking this dive with us. I hope you enjoyed uh, this topic as much as I did learning about it. Johnny, I hope you did the same. Um, Dan, as usual, I am always impressed with your research. Phenomenal um, job, dude. Thank you. Uh, you want to give out the socials? Yeah, man. Uh, no, I don't. Fuck them. Find me. Search. Uh, yeah. Um, fuck it. You you know where to find me, too. I'm yeah, sure they're still listening to this. this they know where we're at. This isn't the first episode you're listening to. Uh, 
thank you guys for tagging along. Thank you for joining. Um, really hope you enjoyed this episode, the knowledge that we dropped. Thank you for taking this dive. Uh, look forward to uh, uh, being being the voice in your headphones next week when we talk about Santa Claus. Hey, peace and love, everybody. By the way, Zimbabwe, we still want to talk to you. England, we want to talk to you, too. <laughs> it was a moonless night. I was 18 years old. Life was going nowhere. It was midnight at the railroad tracks. Miles away from anywhere. Said my turn You didn't look quite how I figured Green suit and black hair Smile on his face, ribbons on his chest He seemed to walk on air Out of this town, I'd be handsome, wealthy, and brave. I'd travel the world, be powerful, but a slave until my grave. Now it's raining in the desert. I said, always got to rain on me. Devil's dogs Would they ever want with me? He grinned I signed my name Diabolical back sealed Heard the cadence of an evil choir Sand shifted I fell into the pit And marched with the other i